Well, good morning, folks. I'd like to invite folks in to take a seat and we'll get started. I can see that there's a nice, fancy uh, new digital clock to uh, remind the speaker of what time it is. So that's great. That's helpful. <laughs> and I can see I'm already three minutes behind. That's all right. We'll, we'll get going. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a gift it is from your side to be able to enjoy another Lord's Day together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as, as a family, as your children. Father, we just ask once again that you'd help us even as we uh, just are going through this living as a church course. Father, we want to uh, know in deeper ways just the rich blessings of uh, your great plan of the local church, even as a witness to the watching world even to the principalities, and even for our own uh, sanctification and growth and joy together as a uh, Christian community. So help us now as we even consider these topics uh, this morning, and we uh, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're on class four, class four of living as a church, and if you've got a handout, I'm guessing folks have handouts, if you've got a handout, you can see it's going to be preaching and prayer. Preaching and prayer. So I would say, as I get started, don't be put off by the simplicity of these topics. There's something, you know, it might just strike you as, okay, well, yeah, no, that's sort of common sense. But I think as we, as we just uh, consider these two topics this morning, there's something uh, beautiful about the way that God works through preaching and prayer. And, and it's even um, supernatural. It's, it's, it's a supernatural activity that takes place as God's word is preached and as we approach God the Father by the Son through the Holy Spirit in prayer, making our prayers, petitions, requests, and so on to him. So the lingo, some of you guys are familiar with the lingo, the ordinary means of grace. The ordinary means of grace. Preaching and prayer are two of the ordinary means of grace, but the, the amazing thing about the or, God's ordinary means of grace are that uh, through those ordinary means of grace, God is actually working supernaturally. And that's something that we're going to see this morning. I mean, maybe when I start using that word supernaturally, for some of you guys, maybe there's a bit of a stigma attached to that word. Maybe there's, you, you got certain conceptions of what that means. Well, we're going to see that these ordinary means of grace, preaching and prayer, are actually supernatural activities. Supernatural activities. So let's just consider even Romans uh, 10, 17. Many of you are familiar with this passage. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So preaching is an ordinary means by which God gives his supernatural gift of his gift of faith, rather, to people, to, to individuals, hearts and minds, supernaturally. So that's uh, Romans ten seventeen. What about John uh, 14, 13 and 14, uh, considering the topic of prayer? Often, I think, misunderstood words, but let's just look at these. So Jesus told us in John 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So what does that mean? Again, these verses can be very abused and misconstrued. Well, the, the, the clue is in the very words here. Asking anything according to Jesus' name means essentially praying according to his will. In other words, if you pray according to God's will, he will answer that prayer. Of course he will. And this is what Jesus is getting at in John 14. So when we approach God uh, with our praise, our confession, our thanksgiving, and our requests, it's an ordinary means of grace, and yet it's a, it's, it's a supernatural activity. We are approaching the living triune God through prayer. And it's one of the main ways that God works, uh, even in the life of the church. And one of the things, to, to the point of the title this morning, the foundation for unity, it's through these two ordinary means of grace that God uh, is... He establishes the unity. Remember, we saw that a couple weeks ago. We don't, we're not the ones who establish the unity. God establishes the unity in the local church, even the universal church. We are to maintain the unity um, in the spirit of the bond of peace. So let's look at the first one now, preaching. Preaching matters. So the fact that preaching is God's, me, uh, God's means to accomplish the supernatural shouldn't come as a surprise to us. So let's just consider God created the heavens and the earth by his powerful words, right? God created his people by his promises. Just consider um, God's promise originally to, to Eve after the fall, right? Eve's offspring is going to crush the serpent's head. Uh, consider God's promise to Abraham by words, and then God even creating his people, Israel, uh, through the Abrahamic promises, the Abrahamic covenant, and then through the establishment of the law at Sinai. It's through words that God establishes, established his people. Just consider this passage from Ezekiel. Maybe many of you are familiar with it, Ezekiel 37. Just considering um, the prophet Ezekiel speaking words and dead people are raised to life, right? Bones come together to, to form uh, human beings, and breath is imparted into them. So Ezekiel 37, verse 7, So I prophesied, I was as commanded, this is Ezekiel, And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. That's Ezekiel 37, verse 7, and then verse 10. So imagine a man speaking dead bodies to life. Well, that's exactly what we see in Ezekiel there. And there's a picture there of the word of God going from someone's mouth into other people's ears, even, I mean, following the analogy, ears that don't exist, right? Um, and life is given. Life is spoken into death and darkness. So again, this is the same pattern that we see throughout the New Testament. Even Jesus, God's word, made flesh. What did he do as he traveled around? Well, he, he performed miracles. He showed great uh, care and concern, right, 
for many people, but primarily, we, we've, we've even seen the first few chapters of the Gospel of Mark, his mission was to preach. He came to preach. He came to preach the good news. So we see in the book of Acts, Peter's uh, famous sermon in Acts 2 is what first ignites the church. And then uh, throughout the book of Acts then, the church uh, continues to grow exponentially as the word of God goes out. So that's what we see there. So we got Jesus' initial teaching and then the, the apostolic teaching that was handed on to the apostles by Christ. So in other words, God's word then is central to the identity of his people. It's central to the identity of God's people. Christianity, just consider this, Christianity is not primarily about spiritual experience or about warm community or about acts of service. Those, those things are certainly part of it. Christianity, first and foremost, um, is about a message that can be supported based on historical facts. So 1 Corinthians 15, 4 and 5. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. So everything that happened throughout the life and ministry of Christ was, was even prophesied beforehand through words. So this is the good news, the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, I just shared. And preaching that message is the source of our life as a church and the source of our eternal life, even as individuals. So what about point B? Um, in particular, expositional preaching matters. What does this mean? Many of you folks are familiar with that term. Um, you can have preaching and see nothing supernatural as a result. So not all preaching is faithful. But as well, it's important to recognize not all, not all listeners are faithful. So we could say not, not all people are faithful listeners, in other words. Just consider all the folks who heard the words of Christ during his ministry, right? And they were still hardened in unbelief. They went away unchanged. Um, so what kind of preaching then will supernaturally create God's people out of nothing? Well, in a word, it's expositional preaching. Expositional preaching. That is, preaching that exposes, unpacks, explains what the Word of God says. So the Word of God sets the agenda. The Word of God sets the agenda. This is the way that we talk about it often. The main point of the sermon is the main point of the passage. The main point of the sermon is the main point of the passage. And I trust by God's grace, hopefully the sermons that you hear here are guided by that principle. The Word of God sets the agenda. I would also say, sadly, the alternative uh, to expositional preaching is very common in our day. And that is where the preacher determines the primary point he wants to communicate in the sermon, and then he tries to find scripture to sort of back it up. Now, obviously, it needs to be said there is such a thing as good 
uh, topical preaching. You can pick a topic, but the, the, the reality is, is it, it's the text that needs to drive the sermon, right? So there is such thing as faithful topical preaching that can even be expositional. But let me give an example of what I mean. Many of you guys are aware of it, but when a preacher determines the primary point and then tries to find scripture to back it up, I remember at Simeon Trust Workshop uh, this past spring, uh, it's an expositional preaching workshop uh, hosted actually by Calvary Grace annually. Very helpful workshop, three-day workshop on expositional preaching. One of the teachers there, uh, he was an American pastor, he was sharing about his experience in seminary. So as a young seminarian, young zealous guy, he wakes up in the morning and he's all excited. So he runs down, he's living on campus, he runs over to his buddy's place. He says, I've got a great sermon. You've got to help me find a passage now to be able to preach it. See what I'm saying, right? The preacher can get, you know, you've got this great story you want to share, this great illustri- illustration, right? You've got that sort of zinger of a point you want to make. Maybe it's your, it's your hobby horse, right? Or some political issue that has been just, you know, sort of gnawing at you. So you know what you want to say, but then you're going to go to the scriptures to sort of find support for it. Well, that's all backwards. That's backwards. Let's look at three specific advantages then of what expositional preaching is. So when a pastor preaches expositionally, again, each sermon is based on the main point of the passage of Scripture. So God's word sets the agenda for the sermon. Very practically, expositional preaching forces a preacher to address verses that he may be uncomfortable with and maybe don't fit into his system of theology. How many folks here have experienced, you, you know, maybe at a previous church perhaps, you're, you're, you're going through a book of the Bible and you may be really looking forward to a certain passage, but then that passage gets skipped over, right? Well, it's because the preacher doesn't want to go there, sadly. But that's not, that's not faithful preaching. So first point, God's word sets the agenda. Second, expositional preaching is a better way of teaching the Bible. When a pastor preaches a passage of scripture in context, again, taking the main point of the passage to be the main point of the message, he and the congregation often hear things from God that they didn't know beforehand. It's the beautiful thing about God's word. The preacher is learning as he prepares, right? And the people are learning as we go through a book of the Bible um, together. So the preacher learns as he prepares. Third, expositional expositional preaching teaches a congregation how to read and study the Bible for themselves. This This is a really crucial point in following with Reformation history. Just consider 500 years ago when the uh, educated elite, you know, the, the top, whatever, two, two or three percent of society knew Latin. It was only that two or three percent that had um, access to the Word of God, right? And the Reformers wanted to put the Word of God into the hands of everybody. Even as William Tyndale said, he wanted the plowboy to be, uh, the common plowboy to be more learned in the scriptures than the priest, which is actually what happened. Because a lot of the priests, they didn't even know Latin. 
right? They just sort of memorized some mantras and just sort of spoke them, and it's sort of this um, sort of magical thing that's supposed to happen. But there's, there's an ignorance of the Word of God. So as, as we, as, as um, the body of Christ here, week in, week out, are hearing expositional preaching, one of the things that's happening, maybe you've noticed, is you're actually starting to learn how to study the Bible for yourself, right? You can look at a passage and see, okay, I think this is the main point here, and you can sort of start to break it down and understand that. Well, that is, uh, that is one of the, the goals and even um, sort of, uh, consequences of expositional preaching, but it's a beautiful thing, a beautiful privilege, if you consider that. Um, so point C, preaching equals God's word plus God's people. So we can't stop there with what I've just shared. There's more to preaching even than that. So Preaching isn't just exhibition of God's word. It's God's word for God's people in a certain time and place. This is the amazing thing, too, about the living and abiding word of God, right? It's, you know, the scriptures were written by, um, inspired by the Holy Spirit, by 40-something authors over the process of about 1,500 years. And it all together, inspired by the Spirit, they're telling one big a true story of redemptive history, but God, the Holy Spirit, applies the Word of God to individual minds and hearts, even in our day. This is the supernatural activity of the Word of God. As we hear the sermon uh, later on from Pastor Clint, we can trust that under God's sovereignty, this is God's Word for us this morning. So if you want to hear from God, I, I know there's a whole lot of mysticism in the modern church in our day. If you want to hear from God, it's, it happens when the word of God is proclaimed, even in this corporate gathering. Of course, it happens in your quiet time, too, as you're reading your Bible yourself. But there's something uh, special about gathering together as the body of Christ and hearing the word together. So there's application to our lives then. So just some, some, you know, speaking of application, here's some sort of uh, application questions we can consider for ourselves. Are you working in a faithful, humble way to help apply the truth you receive to the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do they know your life well enough and do you know theirs that you can help them even by way of application when you're hearing the sermon. Now, I would say, when, just think about that. It can be a little bit dangerous because a very common thing, of course, I'm sure you've experienced it, if you're being honest, when you're hearing a good sermon, you're thinking, oh, this is just so great that this person is hearing this sermon, right? And we, we want to remember the Lord is speaking to us, even as individuals. I need to hear this sermon, even this hard sermon that's exposing you know, my, my own unbelief and sin. So that's, that needs to ha be happening, of course. But then as well, we can help each other apply the word of God to each other's lives. This is part of living as a church together. 
Um, it's one of the things that some of the community groups do. For example, I've been, I've been leading the commu Northeast community group now for many years, and we do sermon application. Maybe you guys are familiar with that text application. Uh, usually meet on a Sunday afternoon after church, and we're simply just going through the sermon very briefly and seeking to apply the word of God that we've just heard to our lives. So we don't want to be like those that James speaks of where you hear the word, it's sort of in, in the ear and out the other. So we can speak about the sermon even as families, um, you know, at the supper table, the family devotionals. Just a couple other points. Rather than trying to remember pages of notes from each sermon, if you take notes, pick one or two things each week that you'll pr prayerfully apply to your life and even talk about it with others. So God gives us a feast each week. And we want to uh, be faithful in putting that to work. So that's application. What about uh, contextualization? So the word, again, I've already sort of gone over this. The word is applied to the particular needs of our congregation, to our shortcomings, to the way God has been moving among us with our particular demographics in mind and so on. So one of the things that we've really encouraged and emphasized here at Calvary Grace is, you know, there's all sorts of great sermons and podcasts out there online. And not to say that those are wrong or bad. I listen to multiple podcasts myself. Um, but we really want to emphasize the Word of God heard together, right? So if you got free time, just put it this way. If you got free time and you missed last Sunday's sermon for, what, for whatever reason, go online and pop that into your earbuds instead of going to listen to John Piper or whoever. And again, don't hear me wrong. It's a, the, 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 the wealth of resources that we have online is almost embarrassing in our day, right? The good preachers we can listen to. But what I'm trying to get at is there's something special about hearing God's word together as the local body. This is God's word for us together, and we want to seek to be applying that to our lives. So that's contextualization. What about authority? Authority. So preaching in a church should explain, interpret, and apply scripture. So in one sense, its authority rests on scripture. But we know that as sinful humans, we can err in explaining, interpreting, applying the inerrant scripture. Um... So preaching in a church is backed by the united testimony of an entire community of Christians, each with their own sins, but also indwelt by God's Spirit. So when the church works as it should, then the words preached on Sunday morning are tacitly confirmed by the elders and ultimately by the congregation at large. So in other words, if a preacher starts preaching it, if it's starting to, you think it's start, starting to go off base, or it's even starting to be heretical, the church, the gathered church, actually has the duty to act at that point. In Galatians 1, this is sort of implied in Paul's charge to the church at large to demand true preaching. You think about the Galatian error. The Galatians were starting to listen to a different gospel, Right? And what's implied in the Apostle Paul's rebuke of the Galatian church is, listen, you shouldn't be putting up with this non-gospel preaching or this different gospel preaching. So there's an authority even that the church has to ensure 
good preaching. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, Paul warns Timothy that some may begin to demand false teaching, right? Having itching ears, they're going to accumulate teachers uh, to uh, suit their own desires. So one of the safeguards against this happening is by a church committing to faithful expositional preaching. God's word is the final authority, and it sets the agenda. So we're part of the supernatural community of the local church through expositional preaching, applying that preaching to ourselves and others in our context and by supporting good preaching. But it also happens through prayer, which is where we're going to turn to next for the rest of our time. And I would just say, uh, this isn't in my notes, but even for myself and my own, just speaking personally a little bit, my own road to becoming a pastor, I've always thought that the seeker-sensitive model it is just, it must be absolutely exhausting trying to figure out week after week how to pe- keep people's butts in the pew and keep coming back, right? It's all on you. And, and how much, uh, just think about the, 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 the beautiful uh, simplicity of just simply seeking to faithfully preach and teach God's word as God sets the agenda. It's a beautiful thing. And it's life-giving for the church. All right, so let's look at prayer. So, probably needless to say, we all understand that prayer is important. But when we think about prayer, probably what comes to mind, I'm guessing for a lot of us, is individual prayer. Individual prayer, private prayer. Let's just consider the Lord's Prayer. Many of you are familiar with this. Just listen to these uh, plural pronouns that our Lord teaches us. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. So you can see that the Lord's Prayer is just packed full of of plural pronouns, right? They're in the plural So Jesus' model for prayer, in other words, assumes and implies corporate prayer. This is something that I think um, for the original listeners, the the Israelites, it wouldn't have been that shocking or surprising. So let's look at why congregational prayer is so important then. Why is congregational prayer important? Well, God uses our prayer together to advance his kingdom. We pray together because, quite simply, we need to. We pray out of need because we need God to act. So just consider the, the, um, what happened in Acts chapter 4 as the church gathered together to overcome obstacles, to overcome persecution, to bring their prayers and petitions to the Lord when Peter and John were in prison. It's interesting that when you read that account in Acts 4, you consider your your leaders, your apostles, your pastors are in prison, and yet the church chooses to gather corporately to pray. Even in the face of persecution, they could have just stayed in their own houses, right? There could have been sort of some type of, uh, they had ways of communicating. I mean, obviously they didn't have email and stuff like that, but they would have had ways of communicating. Listen, we're just going to hunker down each day in your own houses. We're going to pray for Peter and John. 
where they actually made a point of gathering together to pray. You can see that there in Acts 4. And even in that prayer, they gather together and praise God for his sovereignty, even over that situation, asking for boldness in the face of threats. This is what Acts 4.31 says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they, they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So throughout history, we've, see, we've seen God's work to be especially active when his people have joined together in prayer. I'm just going to share a story again. I, I led prayer meeting this past, I'm trying to think now. It wasn't last week, it was the week before. I was just sharing the story about uh, Katie Aaronholz. It's just a wonderful time. We, we were remembering, and Steve Aaronholz, uh, Tim's dad, reminded me that it was four years ago around this time that we were praying for Katie as she was um, essentially on her deathbed. K- Katie Aaronholz, if you know Katie. And, and we gathered together and had a prayer meeting, bringing our prayers and petitions to the Lord. And there's, I mean, there's other prayer happening as well, other believers, but the Lord heard and answered our prayer, and she's alive and well with us today. There's something beautiful about remembering that prayer meeting. So God uses our prayer together to advance his kingdom. Second, God is glorified through the unity of our prayer. As we've seen in past classes, unity among God's people glorifies God. So that's why in Ephesians 4, Paul calls on the entire church to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So praying together is one way that we follow this command by visibly uniting together as God's people to pray. The unity we demonstrate when we seek God together in prayer is particularly striking. So there's two things to note here. First, prayer together is a means of God's grace in which we grow spiritually as we hear others praying. So there's something encouraging about hearing your other brother or sister pray. And I would just say, if you're, if you're maybe timid or nervous about praying in public, praying corporately, just remember that we're, we're, we're rooting for you. We're on the same team. We love to hear, even you know, younger Christians, maybe even just struggling through prayer. We're not, we're not you know, judging your prayer. We, we delight in hearing people even learn and grow in their prayer. So just consider that. Uh, corporate prayer also serves as a powerful witness to non-Christians who see the love and commitment that Christians have for one another in their prayers. And all of this glorifies God. So God is glorified through the, through the unity of our prayer. Third, corporate prayer unites us. So again, it's maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. When we pray together, there's a sense in which we're sort of leaving our own sort of uh, self-preoccupation aside, right? And we're, 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 we're praying, our focus uh, becomes on God. We're, we're focusing on God and on others uh, during that time. So again, I mentioned our monthly prayer meeting or in community groups, maybe even informally, even you know, praying with another brother or sister in the pew after the service, whatever it may be. Um, this is what's happening. So we're thanking God for his grace in other people's lives as we pray together, for our, our physical health, 
our spiritual well-being, praying for each other's uh, witness in their spheres of influence, whatever it may be. So both praying for others and hearing others pray for us naturally draws us closer together. Again, it's this means of grace for the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, one of the challenges for us, I think, in our culture, and it's in our hyper-individualistic culture, very sort of self-sufficient oriented and so on, and this even bleeds into the church, I think, is we can often think that if we, pray, if we share our prayer requests, it's somehow going to be a burden for other people. Well, that, that, that is completely false. Completely false. Just listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, where he shares about a very difficult situation. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Now notice this. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So this last verse is right on point. Was it a burden on these believers to pray for the Apostle Paul? Well, no, not at all. It was a blessing for them to lift him up and share in the joy of God's deliverance of Paul. Right? So if you're thinking, oh, I don't want to share my prayer request. I, you know, people are too busy. You, you, got, you know, you got a lot going on. No, 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 no. People, it, true believers will delight to pray for you. They want to. So talk and, you know, fellowship and ask for prayer. Are you struggling in your faith? Are you struggling at work? Are you struggling in your marriage? Are you struggling with your evangelism? Allow others to bring you before the Lord, even to intercede for you. It's, th th this is, again, th this is an immense privilege for believers. It's not a burden. So corporate prayer unites us forth. Corporate prayer teaches us how to pray. Perhaps you've noticed that our morning services follow the same outline that many Christians will use in their quiet time. So we're, if you look at the way that the morning liturgy takes place, right, the time of um, uh, confession, repentance, assurance of pardon, and so on, what we're typically focusing on is God's holiness. We're remembering our sinfulness, but we're also remembering the beauty of Christ the Savior, right? So our assurance of pardon through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and then also, actually, who we are now in Christ, right? We're new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. So there's a response there as well. If you're familiar with the Greg Gilbert's little black book, What is the Gospel? You're seeing God, man, Christ response, right? Even in the way that we pray, pray corporately together. And this teaches us how to pray. Uh, one of the acronyms that we often use, I used it at our, our, our monthly prayer meeting a couple weeks ago, it was the ACTS acronym. 
many of you guys are familiar with that, you can see it in your handout. So Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. One of the things that I pointed out in the prayer meeting last time is that it can actually be tricky using this ACTS acronym because initially you're focusing on adoring God for who he is. And we can very often be inclined just to immediately start um, praying to God for, for our own individual prayer requests. So one of the things that praying like this does is it, it's, it's a discipline with all the stress and busyness and everything else in life to focus on who God is, right? We want, we want God to be front and center in our hearts and minds as we approach him. And using the ACTS acronym fo- forces you almost to learn how to do that. We want to adore God. And then there's a time of confession and repentance, uh, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and so on. I, I would say even the time of confession, just thinking about our, even, so, so in our morning liturgy, right, a time of confession, repentance, and then assurance of pardon, even the time of confession, obviously we're not speaking audibly, it's, it's, a, it's a quiet time with the Lord, but it is corporate. And one of the things that that forces us to do, and it might be a little bit uncomfortable, is to get real with the Lord, Right? Is there bitterness that you've been harboring in your heart against somebody? Have, how have you sinned, perhaps, in the past week? Well, there's, you're, you're, you're sort of being almost corralled into um, coming before the Lord, getting right with the Lord, and remembering who you are in Christ if you're a believer. Just consider even the pastoral prayer that's, that we try to emphasize here on Sunday morning. So as Pastor Clint uh, gets up before each sermon after our, our last song, you'll notice perhaps the things that Pastor Clint or the other preacher tends to emphasize. So it's more than praying for our own needs, which again is where we're often tempted to focus. Pastor Clint, you've noticed, prays for our government, even Trudeau, right? So, I mean, I don't know about you, that, that might just, just rub you the wrong way, but we're commanded to pray for our government. And I'd even go so far as to say we're commanded to pray for our enemies. Right? We want to see Trudeau saved. And we also want to see him govern well. So Pastor Clint will pray for the government. He'll pray for the persecuted church, for missions, for evangelism, and for our church. So again, just maybe you haven't thought about it this way, but even as Pastor Clint is leading us in pastoral prayer, part of it is he's teaching us how to pray, right? Sort of patterned off of the scriptures. So just, just even, I mean, now that I'm mentioning it, just, just um, really focus on what he's praying about as he offers the pastoral prayer this morning. Um, just a few minutes left here. So before we end our time together, just a few thoughts for how we can pray daily for our church. You can see there, praying for the preacher. So Paul writes in Ephesians, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. 
So if the Apostle Paul needed uh, prayer to speak boldly, certainly um, the preachers here do. You know, you might think, you know, this church seems pretty solid, you know, good expositional preaching, sound doctrine. Well, I can assure you that there can be temptation to sort of smooth off the rough edges of God's word at times, right? But we don't want that. We want to be preaching the word of God faithfully. So pray for the preacher. Second, pray through the directory. This is, this is a pretty neat idea, and maybe some of you folks are doing this. Maybe you haven't thought of it. Um, we used to give out a paper directory. I don't know if we, I don't think we've done that in a few years, but if you go on CCB and click on either whole churchwide community or even gospel partners, you can actually scroll, scroll through all, all the gospel partners in this church and just make, try to make a habit. If you, it, again, this isn't thus saith the Lord. It's just an idea. You can make a habit of praying for one individual each day, even if you don't know them. There's something that uh, uh, glorifies God and honors God in even praying for people that perhaps you haven't met. Our church is getting to the size now where the reality is you're, not, you're just not going to be able to be best friends with everybody. You might not even be able to adequately meet everybody, and that's fine. But even praying for individuals that perhaps you haven't met, right, that can be a beautiful thing, and it's, it can be wonderfully honoring to God. Pray for our church as a whole. Uh, we should pray that we would have real unity in our diversity through the gospel. That's one of the things we've been looking at throughout this course. That we make our relationships transparent to others. That we would see hospitality as an important part of following Christ. So if you flip to the back of your handout here, I've just sort of prov- just read three of these points here. Um... So, and these points are pretty helpful. So, what I would suggest is even try to hold on to this pamphlet and even use it to try to encourage uh, your individual prayer life, but even learning how to pray together as the body of Christ. And I would just say, just a bit of a plug for our um, monthly prayer meeting. Our next monthly prayer meeting is on October 25th. So I'd say if you've never come, just ask yourself, why, why not? Why, why, why do you not come to the monthly prayer meeting? They're beautiful times together as a church. Our next one coming up, we meet the last Wednesday of every month. So our next one coming up is October 25th. Pull out your phone right now and just plug it in your calendar. October 25th, 7 p.m. If you've never come before, I'm sure... You will enjoy it, and it's encouraging to see others coming as well. Um, I'm going to close now in prayer as we get ready for the main service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a beautifully simple uh, thing it is to uh, just even dive into these ordinary means of grace, which are your idea for uh, your church, Lord, preaching and prayer. Um, so with all the confusion, Lord, out there even in the church in our day with uh, mysticism and uh, just weak, uh, non-expositional expositional preaching, Lord, it is such a, 
a, a, a thrill just to see the beautiful, simple design that you have laid out for your people. Father, we don't want to stick our, look down our noses at other churches that are not practicing this way, Father, but we want to see health um, just even go abroad. So we even pray for other churches in this city, Lord, that there would be a renewed commitment to faithful preaching and even to prayer and even for our own church, Lord. We do not claim to have any, everything together by any means. We are sinners gathering, gathering together, but sinners saved by your grace. Father, grow us as a church, even in the preaching, in our, in our sermon listening and application, and even in our prayer, Father. Forgive us for not praying uh, the way we ought to, and uh, teach us to pray, uh, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, you're dismissed.